You know you've got to sing along. Don't you know This is the Cabinets HR Podcast, hosted by Jason Cabinets. Join Jason as he talks to small business owners, founders, and people in tech, startups, and HR. If you fall into one of these categories or are just curious about them, then this is the podcast for you. You will gain great insights from these great conversations. The Cabinets HR Podcast is brought to you by Cabinets HR. At Cabinets HR, we deliver HR to companies with 49 or fewer people by automating the HR process. We believe that you don't need a full-time HR person to receive full-time HR expertise. Hello, and welcome to Cabinets HR Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Cabinets. Our guest today is Will McNeil. Will, are you ready to be great today? I'm absolutely ready. Will is a veteran sales executive and serial entrepreneur. He's held multiple senior sales leadership positions as a director, vice president, and senior vice president. He has launched and co-launched seven different companies. The first one, he was only eight years old. His professional background spans a 20-plus year, year, year career in communications, insurance, financial services, automotive, digital media, and technology. Will is a nine-year veteran of the United States Army, which allowed him to attend college on the job bill. He started his family early in life and worked well in, 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 in taking class at night. At one point, he held as many as three jobs at one time. Will, thank you for your time today. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. We're excited to be here. Will, you, you're doing a lot right now. How do you, how do you keep focused? Like, what, how does that work for you? I, uh, I do two things. I start my day at 4.30 in the morning so that, that helps me be more effective. So by the time everyone else has gotten to the office, I've gotten a lot of stuff done. And so I'm, I'm more available to respond to customers and things as they come up because I've already done many of the things or tasks that I need to do. And um, the other thing I do is when I'm doing tasks and trying to focus, I, I plug into music. So I'm a I like all kinds of music, but my productive jam is usually uh, some James Brown. Yeah, I do the same thing. I get up early, too. I get up at like the same time. It's amazing how much stuff you can do. You have that quiet time, two or three hours in the morning, just focus on what you have to do. And then when the day actually works, starts for everyone else, your, your mind is clear and you just like, focus on that. Yeah, you, you relieve a lot of pressure of, uh, for deadlines that need to get done because you've, you've already knocked most of that out and then you have quality time to interact with humans either people on your team or your clients so where you, you started seven companies does it ever get any easier the more you start is, 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 <laughs> was the same challenge was the same challenge over and over again uh, no matter what company how many times you do it it's never absent the grind um the building something that works building something that adds value uh building something that people want to pay for um servicing your customers getting your message out it's all the same every time um i think where you get smarter is where you invest your time where you invest your dollars where you make your bets how you build your team and who you identify as your target customers. Um, I think you get smarter at executing those things and you deliver a better solution each time. And if you're not learning something um, after each new adventure, um, you're, you're not just doing something wrong. You're missing the boat. So no magic pill, no magic thing that you can pass on to us. Just keep on grinding. Yeah. I, I had a cabinet full of uh, vitamins. None of them have changed it at all. <laughs> So from the companies you built, how has your philosophy on, on, on recruiting people to work for you changed? 
I, um, I think early on, I, I, I drew to people who were like me, which is very natural um, from a personality type and even skill set mix. And then at this stage, almost no one on my team is like me. Um, so I'm a, the classic extrovert. And most of my team, they're introverts, very detail-oriented, very focused. Um, and then there's one or two other creatives that I allow into the sphere because I assume that um, be- just the natural nature of being an entrepreneur, you have to um, linear focus on one thing at a time. Um, but I like to have a few people who just have no control over how big they can think. And they push me to think bigger and not just get caught up in the minutia. Yeah, I'm not like an opposite. I'm an introvert. So I do my best to, to bring on like extroverts and creative people. I, yeah. I, don't, I don't have a creative bone in my body. So I try to do the opposite <laughs> of you. Smart play. Smart play. So we you know, Bayer talks about you had a, one time you had three jobs at one time. Why is it some people like you have others driver and focus and others don't? Is it just thing as genetics or the back bringing up or what do you think that is? Well, you know, my, my family story is I'm one of six kids in my family. My father's one of 17. My father's father was a sharecropper. My mother was a domestic. So we only know work in my family. So there's everyone had something to do. And there was zero expectation that not working wasn't an option. And my dad wasn't a person who just gave me allowance. So like every penny, quarter, dollar, ice cream, candy bar. I had to earn it and ask for money. So he made it a painful experience. And I wanted absolute freedom from having to ask him for money every single day. And with that, he would tell me this line. It was crazy. And and it wasn't until decades later that I got why. And I mean, like two bucks for lunch. He would say, one day, son, you're going to have to make it on your own. And I won't always be here to give you money. And I'm thinking, Dad, I got to catch the bus. This is two bucks, really. And then the next day, the same thing. The next day, the same thing. And I couldn't understand why he was making this so hard. Or, and I, I didn't feel like he did that to the other children, but I guess he saw something in me and, um, and he pushed me. So that was helpful. And then I, I, I always wanted, um, because my family, we were such a large family, our extended family, and we were such helpmates to the other parts of our family. We went out without a lot. And so if I wanted something, I had to earn it, which is why at eight, I was out selling sunflower seeds and, and, uh, or flower seeds and plant seeds to the little old ladies in the neighborhood. And I made extra money and, and bought my, my own, um, my first camera, my first guitar, my first skateboard. And um, I love that feeling of having control. And um, it's continued until now. Well, so obviously I have a lot going on. But, but there's other people out there like, hey, dude, want, they need to work nine to five. They have no time to do anything else. You know, can you pass on any, any uh, like uh, time saving tricks you have or any uh, productivity, productivity hacks you have? Yeah, I think it, there's two things. You got to um, I think you got to let go of the TV and you got to let go of social media. It's tough. You know, there's there's some great shows out there. Social media is an important part of business today. It's an important part of the way people relate. But I think if you can put a cap on how much time you're willing to invest, um, then I think you get a lot of your day back. And then I, I try to have two days where I'm hyper productive. So Tuesday and Thursday are big output days. And so I, I don't do anything that distracts me from deliverables on Tuesday and Thursday. And then I'm careful about the meetings that I take. And so um, you can't meet with everyone um, and you keep try to stay tight to those timelines and you, you set goals for um, where you're going to be, you know, week, two weeks, 
um, in advance. And I think it helps you control your day because it's easy for it to get away. And then kind of the post work day thing, you know, everyone, you cook, you spend time with your family, you kind of have a little chill out time. If you have children, you do that. Um, but I extend my work day. So when I, I, I shut down at kind of like 536, it's family time that goes until about nine. And then um, while my teenagers in the shower having fun, I'm at nine o'clock until, until about 1030. I grind again until I can't anymore. And then I crash out and get up 430 and do it again. Just um, I, I get distracted, too. I think it's human that, you know, something sucks you in. And um, and I've, I think I've developed, you know, an approach to what I do. I, it actually is weird for me to sit still and do nothing. So like it's Christmas holidays. So yesterday, you know, I, I vegged out on the couch and, um, and I really had to make a conscious effort not to do work. And I was checking my work email and work, I wasn't getting any emails. And I was like, what's going on? And it was like, the rest of the world is resting. What is wrong with you? Uh-huh. So I was exactly the same way. Like exactly what is wrong with me? What is my problem? <laughs> I, was, I was exactly the same way. And one thing a lot of people forget when the entrepreneurs, like, you know, you still have life, you know, you still pre probably married, private kids. I mean, you still have to do other stuff, right? It doesn't stop. It doesn't. And I, I think, you know, I think we, the more you're up and active and you've got to make time to work out and eat. Right. And so, um, I think if you starting early, man, it's a great hack. It just cuts out other stuff. So if you are a, um, if you're an entrepreneur and you're also working, right, and you've got to be at work from nine to five, the early wake up gives you another hour or two in your morning to do your other thing to build your business and not have to rely on just doing it at night when you're you're physically and mentally exhausted. And so I'd say invest in your future in the early part of your day where you have the most mental capacity and give yourself an advantage against your competitors. Well, why is it important for you to, to mentor the African-American entrepreneurial community in Chicago? I think, you know, to be honest, I'm not, I am not the best mentor for that, for that community, but I think it's important to share lessons that I've learned. I actually made it a point this year, no matter how much experience, I think I was a victim of experience for a lot of years. And what I chose to do in 2019 was to set a goal to be a student. And so I started identifying mentors who were both my age and younger. And people ask, you know, well, what are you going to learn from someone who's 20 years younger than you? Everything that they know that I don't know. And the world is evolving. And my the other part of my network who's older than me, they're they're kind of weighing down. They're thinking about retiring. They're sunsetting their careers. They're not developing new skills that will be important in the next five or 10 years. So I want to stay connected to that. And so a part of, um, I think my contribution is also communicating to folks who've been at it or who've tried and, and succeeded or tried and failed a few times to continue to stay a student, to broaden your network from people who don't just look like you and other folks. But I think it's important because as an entrepreneur, you cannot have all of the great ideas yourself and you need someone to reality check you and to validate you when you're on the right path or you're off. And I've been fortunate enough to have enough great entrepreneurs around me to say, hey, you're on the right path or will, what do you think about X, Y, or Z? And I may not respond to it because at first I thought it was a great idea, obviously. But I will tell you, some of my biggest wins in 2019 has come from my board of advisors and my broader network of entrepreneurs. And I try to be that to other people as well. That's great. Will, how has your experience in sales helped you in your startup journeys? 
I think it's been critical. I think, in fact, it, it's been, in some instances, it's, it's been a blessing and a curse. So I could go out and I acquire account, um, accounts, and then I actually had to work on delivering the solution, making sure the team delivered what I promised. And so in past companies, we struggle with that. I had a home improvement and remodeling company. We only worked in high-end lofts and condos in downtown Chicago, and we were absolutely crushing it. And then um, a buddy of mine who's actually in the larger construction business, and we were really design and, and layout and, and making cool stuff and building in-wall TV mounts and that kind of stuff and making your fireplace look like something no one else has. And I, I went to a job site. And it was probably 10 o'clock in the morning. The team was supposed to be there at six. I see the security guy and he's like, oh, you're the first one here. And I'm thinking, how in the world can I be the first one here at 1030? And um, that lesson taught me that just because you can ring the cash register in some of the most expensive real estate in the city doesn't mean that you can run a great company. And our company folded because I couldn't find reliable talent at the pace that I was making sales to do all of the work. And it got so frustrating that people were saying yes to us and they believed in what we could do. And we had some talented artists, as I would call them, because of the kind of work that we did. But the folks who did a lot of the functional stuff, you know, the real woodwork, the real drilling, not the design and the layout, um, you know, and we over, we didn't overcharge. We were expensive for the for what we delivered because we delivered something that no one else was, was, was talking about. And, um, and I just couldn't find steady workers. And after a while, I just got to a point where I couldn't allow my name to just continue to be tarnished as a company that made people feel like they were being jilted. And so we, we, I shut it down and I, I, it was a tough day, a tough week, a tough series of months. And I had to put my tail between my legs and I went out and got a job and, and said, I'm never going into the construction business again. And, uh, and then we lived on and invented, reinvented and did something new after that. Well, back on sales, you know, everyone says, you know, sales cures, cures all, you got to do sales, but no one wants to do sales. Like it's the last, you always find excuses not to do it, but you have to do it, you know, cause you have no sales, you have no company. Right. Any tips on people to just jump in and do sales? I, I think, I think people get over mystified by the idea of selling. So I think the same thing is true with tech, with tech. Selling is a, a conversation and an exchange about value, helping people solve a problem. If you're, if you believe and you like to help people, you can be great at sales. In fact, I discovered that people who are the greatest pitch men and pitch women, um, they can get some yeses, but they don't get repeat business and they don't get expanded business. And so I think if you're committed to helping people solve their problems, you can do great in sales and get beyond just being a pitch person. So if you can understand what's wrong, you can create urgency, you can get people to say yes to you over and over and over again. But it's a discipline and it has to be practiced. It's not something that you can just talk people into in 2019, the customer, especially in B2B and even B2C, they're, they're more sophisticated. They know as much about your product sometimes as you do or your competitors, and they may even introduce you to competitors. So I think um, being exceptional at what your company does, being aware of what your company offers, being clear about what's different and getting up and making phone calls, sending emails and having the discipline to do that. Um, in fact, a part of my early wake up regime is, is doing sending cold call emails. I want to be the first email you get in your email box every day before you go to work. 
So when you check your email on your phone, you probably, that's when you're going to get an email from me, or I'm going to send you a note while you're doing what I'm doing, catching up on emails at night while your kid's about to go to bed. And so, because my, my audience are decision makers and executives who are busy and their lifestyle actually is kind of a bit of a reflection of mine. So I really try to adjust the way I sell around the way they work. I almost never send or reach out during the middle of the workday because I assume that they're busy and I want to catch them at a time when their mind is clear and their distractions are, are, are minimal. And so I, I would say when it's, it's hardest as a salesperson is when you should make two more calls or send two more emails. When you look at yourself in the mirror and say, I'm done, I'm tired, just say two more. And if you do that every day, you will be amazed at the results that you'll get over time. Follow up with that. I remember reading a hack saying that you should like send emails or calls, you know, like after 5 p.m., before 8 a.m. or maybe your Saturdays because most entrepreneurs are working on Saturdays and Sundays, you know. Yeah, but like yeah. I said, definitely not, you know, at 2 p.m. on Wednesday is probably not the best time. Yeah. And, and it's also, you know, whoever you're, you're going after, they have a boss or, or an influencer or they're working on projects and not every one of them is working perfectly. And so the last thing you want to do is to engage in a great sales call or a great sales meeting right after they had their lunch handed to them by their boss for missing a deadline, right? They're just not emotionally there. And in 2019, it's really hard to get people to pick up their phone because for the most part, a phone on a desk is a um, display object because so people are so focused on their mobiles. And so you have to penetrate through email and through social media. And those are soft, low risk ways to reach out. But you have to pump out the volume at a target audience and um, be consistent and, and add value when you engage. So you can't just say, hey, look at me. You know, I, I view um, early sales calls, not unlike the candy store in the mall, you know, when they hand out freebies, and they give things away. Right. And there's that that humanness like, wow, that was tasty. Um, and we're glad that you liked it. Right. So if you'd like more, there's more. But here, I'm happy to give you another sample. And it's if you what you're giving, if your sample is good, they'll they'll want it to do more. So you, I think for folks, um, you want to be able to, to go after them with a clear message. And today's world, there's so many resources like HubSpot and others to give you another hack of great content that's out there about sales tactics, sales emails, titles of email messages, ways to reach out on social media. Um, but I have to tell you, you know, if, if you're not, if you're, especially if you're B2B, if there's not at least a hundred outreaches a week, man, you're not even in business. And I, and I would say that that's on the low, low, low end. You know, there are thousands of companies and within those companies, there's half dozen, dozen decision makers who could influence your ability to get into companies. Um, we just signed a new client um, a couple of weeks ago as a result of me playing golf with a buddy at a tournament with this, uh, this other firm. It's uh, Bean Centauri, one of the largest liquor companies in America and the world. And um, through our relationship, I made a connection and that person introduced me to someone who was the ultimate decision maker. And it took six months for it to all come together. Um, and so I think it's important that a no or a pause or a no action isn't the end, that you have to stay consistent and continue to add value and build the relationships because you'll find that if you're still pitching and you've been in business for a couple of years, you're doing something wrong because you should have people um, vouching for you, making introductions on your behalf, and uh, you should be doing the same for other people so that they would like giving away candy. Um, if you help enough people, you'll be amazed how many of them will um, lean forward and help you too. I think a good lesson you mentioned is I think a lot of people, they're, they're doing a sales call, they're here, no, and they take it personally, right? And you can't take it personal because like you said, they, they might have just had it handed them by the boss, might have had an accident, just might have had a bad day. I think too many people would take a no personally and you can't do that. 
Yeah. And a lot of times, you know, they, they may not be saying no, they're no to you or your company or even your offer. It could just be no to the timing. Right. And so, and, and I think it's important to, you know, to, to also enter sales as an adult talking to an adult and not a child talking to an adult. And if you have an adult adult conversation with another business professional and they refuse your offer, you can usually ask a couple questions about, um, about why and not just the question why, uh, and maybe use it as a learning opportunity. You guys are trying to grow your business. What could we have done better to improve? You know, we lost an RFP earlier this year and I sent a note to the CEO and just said, Hey, you know, we would have loved to have earned this, this opportunity, but obviously we missed. So I would like to, you know, if there's a way that we can learn what we did that made us a non-competitor, um, I'd love to have a short conversation, um, and then just build value from there because there's usually things about us that they don't know. And that, um, this project isn't the only project and this year isn't the only year they're going to be in business, but no matter what the CEO knows my name, she has my email address. Um, and I've seen her at events and reintroduced myself and I, we're playing the long game. And so if we keep depositing like a farmer into the fields and watering the fields, uh, making sure there's sunshine on the crops that, uh, we're going to get a harvest, but we got to stay active at all parts of the farming. Will, can you talk a little bit about your current company, Black Tech Jobs? Yeah, Black Tech Jobs. You know, we, we're, we're trying to change the world, uh, Jason. We, we think that, and we think we can do it by changing um, the mix of people that are in conference rooms driving tech and business. And um, at our core, we connect employers with Black Tech talent, and we do that in a few different ways. And so, one, uh, we connect employers to active job seekers on our job board at blacktechjobs.com. Um, and two, we service the Black Tech community um, as well. And so there's a few ways that we do that. Uh, and then I'll circle back to the other ways that we help companies. And so one of the things that we just released, we have a resume uh, job description comparison tool. So you can post your resume and uh, on the site, you know, and not post it for others to see, but copy and paste it and then copy and paste the job description. And our tool will analyze your resume and compare it to the job description and give you real-time feedback to make updates so that you can improve your chances um, of being viewed by the recruiters and getting past the applicant tracking system. And especially for Blacks, because it's the number one way that African-Americans find jobs of any sort in any industry is through digital submission. However, most jobs are found through social networks. And so a part of what we do, as I mentioned earlier, that making that connection, we're that conduit between the two communities, employers and the black tech talent community. And so we make those introductions on our digital platform. The other way we help is we are a full service retained search firm. So we help an individual company fill an individual job and we present them with two to three candidates who we're confident that can actually do the work for them. And then the third part is our diversity practice, because what we're seeing for diversity candidates in technology and in other industries as well is once they get hired, they're leaving their current employer. So we're helping employers with strategy. We brought on this amazing woman. Her name's Yuri, uh, Yuri Krizant, who has a long 20 plus year history um, as a senior executive in diversity. And she leads our diversity practice. And so we are excited about being able to help companies on the front end and the middle and on the long term with really executing their diversity mission, which creates opportunities that would otherwise not be there for the African-American tech community. We do that with companies all over the country. And then lastly, we have a handful of events um, each year 
where we do a couple of things because there's this myth that, you know, we everyone says we can't find them. There's a pipeline issue. And so we do a little myth busting by bringing highly skilled black tech professionals. And to clarify, we mainly work uh, with middle level and senior level black tech talent. That's our core. We think that's critical because those are the folks who are making hiring and firing decisions and also have networks large and wide enough to be able to help companies with the main way that they recruit which is employee referrals. And so those events help us make introductions um, one to few. And so that um, recruiters can come. Our events are usually intimate in size, focused in nature. We actually have one coming up in Chicago. We're partnered with a great Chicago tech company, Groupon, who you may be familiar with. Um, and their CTO is sitting down with uh, one of our one of the tech, black tech community leaders here in Chicago. Um, her name is Michelle Best. She is a who's who in the black tech diversity community here in Chicago. Um, she, she works, she has up diversity for a company called Sprout Social who just went public a couple weeks ago. Dynamic Chicago tech company. And um, she's going to talk to the CEO about his career, the CTO, the new CTO. So he literally hasn't even started working yet. So this is going to be one of the first things he does after taking on his job. And we're super excited about that. And then we're also going to have a group of high powered black tech executives telling their career story, their challenges and giving real world advice to the audience. And so for the folks who are going to be here in Chicago, if you absolutely want to come to this, and I've even had events where people have extended their stay in Chicago, have flown in for these events and we've made connections and helped create opportunities because we absolutely understand that the power of finding a job is going to come through a network. And we also believe in, and, and this is my firm belief that great entrepreneurs are built from great work experiences. And so, and I say this to all the millennials out there before you just jump out and start a company, get an education in business by working at a great company, learn from leaders. You're going to get two kinds of lessons. Let me get this on the video, two kinds, things to do, things to not do. And both are great lessons as leaders. And so the, how can you learn to be a leader if you don't get to be a follower and see a few different types of leaders? How do you learn technology by not being around other amazing technologists and learning different types of strategies and tools and communication styles? And so ultimately, um, kind of our business is one that feeds the whole ecosystem of technology, both in jobs and opportunities and um, helping t- future black tech entrepreneurs get into organizations that will give them an education that will give them a chance to be successful. Well, are you focused just on black town of Chicago? Or are you also going to the HBCUs and, and getting talent from there also? So we, we, our investment in the HBCU community or the, um, the, the black um, college graduate community or young college graduate community and the black um, um, student community is through what we call the BTJ 1000. We're trying to have 1000 uh, college kids across the country um, get internships because we also think that's an important inflection point for young people to get exposure to opportunities and for companies, recruiters and hiring managers to get exposure to this young, budding, hugely growing black tech community that's coming out of college over the next three to five years. It is amazing how many young black engineers I meet all over the country and I connect with online, digitally on LinkedIn. Um, And so, and mentor, you know, I I probably do um, five to six half hour mentoring sessions a week with young black technologists. So that's the way that we invest there. But our core focus is in that middle and senior level talent. Uh, But just broadly, our business isn't just in Chicago. We are actually working on a project to be in Seattle in February. I can't say it, but it's a 
big, big Seattle-based brand. The deal's not done yet. We've got some work to figure out. There's some new leadership changes happening. So my hope is that um, we can share coffee or tea here um, towards the middle end of February in Seattle and pull together uh, the Black tech community, engage at a high level with some of the fantastic companies there that are housed and founded in that in that in that area. Well, you have some good advice. Like, like I have my own HR tech startup now, but I start. I worked for another startup for two years before I started my own company. And I can imagine doing a startup without starting my, like working for another startup. But so many people just start a startup with no experience. Oh, I'm gonna start this company right and have no idea what they're doing. How do we? How do you? How do you stop that? I mean, you just gotta, or you just you, you just have to learn your lessons. But tell them, hey, if you can, work for someone else first. So and let me first say the reason I've started seven other companies because there were there were seven other failures before. <laughs> so those lessons were accelerated by walking and spending time with other entrepreneurs. So my last two W two jobs. Um, I had either dotted line or direct line reporting relationship to the CEO or the president of the company. And I would spend a decent amount of my one-on-one time and my personal development time with, with those CEOs with learning about their story of how they built the company. How did they early raise capital? What was their approach to acquiring customers? And how did they get people to work for them when you can't pay them? Right. And so I learned just amazing lessons because as a salesperson, I thought if I could just sell people, it would be great. And what, and I talked to three, what I would describe or what the community describes as self-made multimillionaires. And every one of them told me almost the exact same story verbatim that all of their early startup capital came from friends and family, every one of them. And it started around 30 grand. So not a ton of money. And they have, and here's a story that, that I, and I will reveal this to everyone. This is the best playbook ever for anyone starting up. And I, if I would have known it 20 years from now, I would be doing this on a stage retired because I would have just got there from my jet. One is um, they would go out to their friends and family and ask for three things. And please, I hope if you're watching this, write this down now, get a pen, get your phone out, record this. One is, um, will you invest in my company? Yes or no. And so for those who said yes, it was fantastic, kind of how much, when, and let's go, right? If they said no, then it wasn't, thank you very much, have a nice day. It was like, okay, well, if you can't do that, can you introduce me to someone who can invest in my company, right? That's, that's part two. And if they said no to that, and then the third request was, okay, if you can't do that, could you be a customer or could you introduce me to someone who could be a customer for my company? And getting a yes to any of those three options will accelerate your company in ways you can't imagine. And I can tell you as a guy who's been selling and cold calling and have made over 1 million cold calls. Cause I started out as a telemarketer. I have heard no, no more than any human you probably know. And I was such a hardcore telemarketer, which is probably why I fear. No, I don't fear. No, I learned 10 key by touch in reverse dialing on the phone so that I could make calls. I was making a hundred calls an hour. And I would tell you that this one, two, three punch is 100 times better than those skills. And so, and don't underestimate the power of investment from your friends and family. If you can't ask them, who can't you ask? And, and a no is okay because what they may do is say, you know what? I just ran in a wheel. And do you know, he asked me to invest in his company. I haven't seen him in 10 years, man. And whoever they tell that story to is like, really, what is he doing? 
you know what? That sounds interesting. Could you put me in touch with him? And I can tell you that is exactly what happened to me. I got to know from someone that I hadn't been very close to. And I promise you, I probably nearly offended them by asking them for money, but I got a customer out of that connection. And so, um, um, I talked a bit about this to my children a lot. Uh, it's, it's one of the uh, handful of biblical verses that I am an absolute master at. And it, it goes like this, and you've heard it before. Ask and you shall receive. And the second part is seek and you shall find. And it, while it is a two very, very simple phrases, but if you don't ask, you will not get. And a no is still great because every time you share your story, you create an expansive network of people who could potentially share your story. And that's a good point. As an entrepreneur, you're going to tell your story over and over and over and over and over and over again, right? And, and I would even tell you, I thought my story was great. And so when we talk about mentorship, being a part of um, uh, Bunker Labs and being a veteran resident, I changed our story um, as a result of a session that we had in our community here in Chicago. And we were leading with what we did. And what I took away from the, that, and I'll share this lesson too, what was lead with why you're doing it. And, and that's how we change our mantra from we connect employers to black tech talent at scale to we believe we can change the world. And we think by doing that, all types of things can be built and created. And I mean, there's, there's amazing data now done by, by these top two, three um, um, consulting firms out there about the economic impact of of ethnic diversity in your company because gender diversity, the bump up in gender diversity has already happened. So they've kind of, they, they haven't said it loud, but they've documented and researched that the juice has been squeezed really hard out of that orange. And there's another orange over here that you can squeeze. And I would tell you a great example of diversity is if I just worked with the idea that I've got all this sales experience, And this session I went to was with another guy who had a ton of sales experience. A lot of things he said I had heard before, but that one nugget and just being open to that nugget, it changed the way that we do business from now on. So I want to learn some some of the past and get your opinion. So I want to break this down on economic demographics. So suppose you have one person that comes from money. Another person doesn't come from money. They both graduate from college. The one person that comes from money, you know, he has no student loan debt. He can take a couple years off, start a company, you know, no one's dependent on him. He can stay at home. So he starts a company and that company, you know, turns into something. The other person does not come from money. He has student loan debts. People depend on him. He has to get a nine to five job. So the one person, you know, potentially is able to start a multi-million dollar company and build economic wealth. The other person is pretty much stuck in a nine to five job because of economics. Is there a way to change this or is this just the way things are? You know, I, I, my short answer is, is things are that way, but there is an inflection that can help. And I'll give you, I'll give you examples of, of each side. So on one side, you have that, the story you just described, that's the Bill Gates story. So um, the, a part of the way that the great company Microsoft was built was because what, someone who I believe is a great entrepreneur and uh, one of the great minds in business and philanthropy on this planet um, his mom's introduction to IBM because his mom was on the board of um, um, of um, uh, Red Cross with the CEO of um, of uh, IBM at the time. Had his mom not be able to make that introduction, that company wouldn't be the company we know today. 
I mean, what happened in that meeting resulted in Windows being placed in, in, in almost every major PC in, on the planet. And him also being astute enough to leave that deal as a relative young kid with a titan in business and say, hey, but we want all rights to the software which was absolutely genius. And at the time he didn't even own it. So he left that meeting and I don't know where he got a $50,000 check. I'm assuming his parents gave it to him. And he wrote the guy who built windows a 50 grand check. This is a long time ago. So 50 grand was a lot of dough. And, uh, and then put it in into all the IBM machines that were sprawling up all over the world. And it made billions. And so, um, um, so that's a great story of someone who does have family connections and the power of family connections and what it can do for you. When you don't have that, I think it's very, very, very hard because not only do you not have the connections to have that type of connection is you don't even understand the value of connections and you don't know how to go outside of your community for connections because for most people, we all operate most of our lives within two or three miles of our front door. So where we buy groceries, the woman or man or you're going to fall in love with, you probably meet within just a few miles of your front door or where you live or where you operate or where you work. And so um, I think that it can be done. It is very hard to do and it requires coaching and mentoring and stewardship. And so you, and, and coaching and mentoring are two different things. So coaching is someone tells you what to do and they expect you to do it, right? Mentoring is someone who's challenging the way you think and giving you new ideas and giving you freedom to make choices. And then the stewardship is for you to take those lessons and actually do something with it consistently. And so um, what I would tell you is, you know, one of the things that I I decided to do this year was to double the size of my network on LinkedIn. Uh, I didn't decide that immediately. Initially, I said I was going to meet 100 new people a month and I thought I was crushing it until I met this woman who seems to believe she's, I'm her mentor, but I keep reminding her that she's mine. And she told me that last year she expanded her network by 8,000 people. And so I felt like a chump. Like I, I, I thought I was working hard, but I had been sleeping. And so to, I started doing the math backwards and I'm like, that's over 800 people. It's like nearly 800 people a month. I'm like, oh my God, how'd you do it? And so she gave me the feedback. She was, it was just a grind and she just totally dedicated to herself to it. And so then I upped my game. Now I didn't get to 800 people in a month because then I sent everyone a thank you note. I sent them a personal thank you note. So I wanted to engage deeply, but so I set a goal for myself to double my network. And so this year, so next year I'm setting that same goal, but it's going to be a lot harder because it's double the size that it was. And so I think the critical path to having the kinds of success that you can see as Zuckerberg or gates have is you have to have a network of people who can connect you, invest in you and invest meaning capital or brain power. And you have to be open to hearing the messages, even when they don't match up with what you think you should do with what you want to do. I think the greatest enemy to entrepreneurship and probably one of the greatest things um, about being an entrepreneur is ego. It takes a lot of ego to jump out here and do this on your own and make a living by yourself and not have a safety net. Um, but if you have an ego so big that you can't take coaching feedback or advice, I can speak to it as someone who's had seven great failures. Um, um, it's a, it's a painful and expensive lesson.
Will, can you talk a little about your experience with Bunker Labs and veterans as residents? Yeah. In fact, you know, I'm a, I'm a nine-year veteran in the United States Army and um, uh, and enjoyed um, the, all the things that I learned as a soldier and as a man, as a human um, serving our country. Um, and, I, and I hadn't been a part of a veteran community in a really long time because for some reason, I didn't think there were that many vets in Chicago. There had been this long period without a war. And then a lot of the young people who have gone who were involved in Afghanistan and the Middle East during the last 10, 15 years were a lot younger than me. And so I didn't have those connections. And then my Vietnam guys, um, they were at another stage in life and I lost track of them. And so um, this has been an, a great opportunity to talk to people who've had a shared experience there is nothing like the sacrifice that the men and women um, deposit into this country to, to put on a uniform and protect um, all of the rights and, and privileges of being an American. Um, but from a business perspective, the programming has been great. The connections that, that Bunker Labs has made for me. Um, in fact, um, uh, we got to introduce ourselves to a community, the veterans um, um, group at um, at um, um, at Groupon, and um, that connection. I was photographed speaking there. Helped me deepen my relationship with them. That was already on good footing, but it got stronger. And so they didn't know that I was a. It was, we were a veteran-owned company, or that I was a veteran. They just knew that we were a black-owned company. And so um, they wanted to to do more with veterans because we are as vet, as entrepreneurs, we're a micro minority in the veteran community in the entrepreneur community. Um, and so the camaraderie is a part of it. I think the training, so the example of the lesson I learned about changing our story, um, came from my experience at Bunker Labs. And I'm excited about what's coming in the future. Uh, and even uh, another great example is um, it's my one pager, right? So you, you meet people, you give them information about what your company does to succinctly tell your story. Um, I thought I had it. It was just great to have one. I thought it was originally decent until I met someone that had a killer one pager. And I was like, oh my God, mine sucks. And so um, if it wasn't for Bunker Relapse, I wouldn't have reevaluated my one pager. I'd have been walking around with my chest stuck out. And because you don't know what other companies are delivering as a value proposition in great detail, you have no idea that you're being blown out of the water by people who are doing great stuff and making investments in your marketing. So um, those are just some of the lessons. I mean, we're really just at the halfway point of the process, and I just can't wait for what's going to happen in 2020. So for other veterans who are watching this all over the country, if you have aspirations or you are a current entrepreneur and I don't care how long you've been in business, this is a great opportunity to learn, to make connections, to find customers, um, to hear different strategies and, um, and be in a safe place where you can talk about something because for the most part, um, no one in the room is your competitor, um, but they're all doing similar things. They're trying to build a business um, they're trying to drive sales. They're trying to tighten their product. They're trying to raise capital. Um, and so I, I, I'm really excited about what Bunker Labs is doing here in Chicago and um, look forward to just continuing to be a part of the community. Well, I understand you have something for our listeners today. Yes, yes, yes. So if you have, if you are following this and, and you're an HR professional and you're trying to drive diversity, um, I, I want to leave you with our, our email address. If you ping us at info at black techjobs.com because, and just mention this podcast and um, we're going to give you 40% off your first job posting. So visit us at blacktechjobs.com, um, ping us at info at blacktechjobs.com and we're going to offer you a 40% discount 
on your first ad. So if you decide to go small or if you decide to go big, we want to make your, your experience um, um, a great experience. And we want to give you a financial incentive to do it, to be a part of a community. And now's a great time because lots of folks are making New Year's resolutions to find a new job, to build a better career. Um, and we're happy to do that uh, because you are part of this community and, uh, and you're following this podcast. Thank you for that, Will. Will, can you share your social media links for both yourself and your company so people can reach out to you? Sure. Um, at uh, Black Tech Jobs, we're uh, on uh, on Twitter, on Facebook, and um, on uh, we're on LinkedIn as well. And you can find us at, um, um, I'm trying to think we're someplace else. We are on, and I'm horrible at this. My marketing people would be really laughing right now. But you can find me. I, I'm um, Will McNeil, um, I think 606 on Twitter. Uh, and you can um, and follow me there. Um, please um, uh, give us a shout, give us a follow. And if you have a resume and you are considering sending a digital submission before you do it, come to blacktechjobs.com. I don't care what your ethnic background or how far you are in your career and allow us to give you that free service to analyze your resume and give you feedback because we want to give you the best chance possible to, um, to win that next opportunity. And to the listeners, we'll have the links to his resources and social media in our, in our, in our show notes. And you can find the show notes at www.cabinsatrailblog.com. And be sure to subscribe, rate, and review the Cabin State Trail podcast. Well, we come to the end of our talk today. Can you provide us any last minute wisdom or advice on anything you want to talk about? Two things. One, if you're in Chicago and you're going to be around Chicago January 22nd and you can come to our career building event you do not want to miss this. We have an all-star cast of tech professionals and recruiting professionals to give real-world advice on finding a job in 2019. Again, January 22nd, and you can find that information at either Eventbrite or visit us at blacktechjobs.com on our event pages. And then lastly, I will leave you um, with this. If, if you are building a business or building your career, your resume is a key component of your success. and so. Um, I, I highly recommend using our tool. And then second, uh, and this is kind of third, so this is my third thing and final thing, is expand your network before you need it. Meet as many new people who can influence your career and be clear about the types of folks that you want in your network. Make that a part of your 2020 plan to grow your network that will allow you to grow your career and grow your business. Will, thank you for your time today. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. And to our listeners, thank you for your time as well. And remember to be great every day. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Cabinets HR Podcast. Be sure to connect with us on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat, Instagram, Twitch, YouTube, and TikTok at Cabinets HR. Also check out our weekly live streams at the Cabinets HR Facebook, Twitch, YouTube, and Periscope, where we focus each week on an HR topic important for small business. These are every Wednesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time and last around three minutes. To join our weekly HR email newsletter list, send us an email to jasoncabinets at cabinetshr.com. Thank you, and remember to be great every day.